Well, good morning, Hope Vale. Will you please stand to your feet if you're able? Let's lift our voices and sing to the King of Kings this morning. Yeah. 
Lord, we thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for everything you're doing in this place. And Lord, I just want to quote Matthew 6.33. It tells us to, to seek first the kingdom. And we're centering our life on that very moment. Because in the kingdom, there's no lack. In the kingdom, there's no depression. And in the kingdom, there's no anxiety or fear or depression, God. So Lord, we just center our lives on you. And we seek first your kingdom, God. And we let your kingdom come. Amen. Good morning. Glad you're here, everybody. I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor. Uh, great day to come to church and uh, put our minds and our hearts on the things of God in Christ today. It's a good thing. It's a right thing for us to do because uh, he has his mind and his heart on us every moment. So um, God is very honored by your presence today, and so are we here at Hope Vale. Uh, hey, if uh, you are uh, standing near someone, which you are, King of the obvious, nothing gets by me. So uh, we do this thing called the meet and greet. Say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks so much. Good morning, Hopevale Church. Man. Every time I come up here, we do the same thing. I say good morning, good morning, yeah, no, and I'm like, no, let's try that again. I'm not going to try it again. Next time I come up here, I want vigor and excitement from you guys. But good morning, Hope Vale Church. I'm super excited to be here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Brent Ferris. I am a student pastor here at Hope Vale Church, which basically means I get to hang out with high school and middle school students all the time, and I get to chat with them about three main things, their purpose, their belonging, and their identity. Uh, and those are my favorite things to talk about, which is good that I got this job because I would be hopeless anywhere else. Uh, and if that's something that interests you, if you're excited about that, if you, man, you just really remember a time in your high school days where you wish somebody would have spoken that to you, I would love to chat with you about maybe investing in the next generation, which is this generation of leaders. Uh, we've got student ministry openings all over the board. We would love to chat with you about that. Uh, I will be right outside over here. Uh, after service, we'd love to, love to talk about it. The other thing we want to do is if you're new here, if this is like your first time or you've been coming for like a quick second, but you're like, man, I don't know where I'm going, what's next, we would love to meet with you. There are two ways you can do that today. The first is right outside of the doors, right in the center, there's a welcome desk. And we want to give you a gift, say thank you for joining us, chat with you, get to know you, uh, maybe get you a fill out connect card so we can connect with you, so we can get you placed in maybe a group or with some people that you find that uh, have a shared interest. The other thing we would love to do is bring you out to the hub, which is right outside, uh, where if you're new here, if you've been coming maybe a couple months or you're brand new today, uh, some of the staff will be hanging out over there. We would just love to talk to you. I want to kind of stress that that's if you're new here, you know. Uh, for the rest of you, we would love to chat with you too, but that's kind of designed for uh, anybody who's new so we can chat with them a little bit about uh, any questions they might have going forward. There are a couple of things that we would love to tell you about. The first thing that's happening is this week, this Friday, there is a worship night happening right here, which is super exciting. Seven o'clock, yes. The last time we did this, we filled up the auditorium. It was amazing. Uh, and this is just a great night to come and get refreshed and rejuvenated in your faith as we worship God together. Uh, it's going to be a great night. I know this. I know Billy's done a lot of work and Jess done a lot of work on that. It's going to be a great, great night. Super excited for that. As we get ready to, to collect our offering, I'd love to ask you guys to come forward. Uh, we're going to transition a little bit uh, into a time that we talk about 
something that nobody likes to talk about, and that's money. Uh, we talk about money, we talk about time, and we talk about resources because we believe that God would love for you to worship him in obedience with your generosity in, in all of those areas. And this is just something we do uh, to actively worship God in our time, talents, and resources. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to pray for our, our offering, and we're going to collect the offering, and we're going to move forward with the service. But we'd just like to thank you guys um, for investing in us because when you invest in the church, you invest in the global mission of the kingdom of heaven. And we, I, can, I don't have time to do all the things that we're doing at Hope Vale, all the cool things that each department is working on to, to impact our community. Uh, but it's truly special. So thank you so much. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the opportunity to talk through all the things that are happening. Uh, and it's like, we just don't have, a, we don't have enough time to talk about all the cool things you're doing in this church, in this community, in Bay City. God, we just are so excited for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you for everybody here this morning. Lord, uh, thank you for the cold weather. And we, uh, we just can't wait to see what you're bringing to us, both in Dan's sermon today and in general. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks, Brent. Is that guy a firecracker or what? I wish I had half of his energy. I really need it. We all, Brent's the man. We all love that guy. Hey, everybody. There's uh, something I've been reading the last few weeks uh, to our worship team and our tech team and our, some of our pastoral staff as we gather before uh, worship. And we talk about a few things and we pray together. And a friend of mine wrote this. Uh, he said that um, uh, there's, there's a lot at stake uh, in a worship service because people come with stuff. And he says that uh, quite possibly on a Sunday, he gives a list that these, these are a list of things that could maybe happen today. He says... Marriages could be healed, addictions broken, depression destroyed, anxiety calmed, courage gathered, purpose reclaimed, confusion redefined, joy restored, breakthrough, revelation, healing, miracles, revival. He talks about setting the table for the miraculous. And, um, you know, we come, uh, this building's no different than mcdonald's down the road but uh we set it apart for a time to meet with god on sundays like this to say god um is there something you have for me is there a way that you can show me that you're real again uh, pastor dan said backstage today before we were praying uh, maybe some of us are in real need of miracles uh lately so there's something that happens when we worship, friends. There's something that happens when we reach out to God, when we sing to God, when we just say, God, it's um, in, in this big room. God, it's just me and you. Um, I, I need you. I need all of you. I really need you to speak into my life because of dot, dot, dot. Um, I hope that's, that can be a real earnest prayer for you today. And so as we worship and as we listen to the word a little later, I hope and pray that um, the things of God in Christ just fall fall on you in a way that's like, man, I know that's God today. So that's my prayer for you. We're going to continue in worship. And uh, so let's sing together this song about God's goodness and um, be good for us.
are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, in you death is lost and sting.
came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the world. Lord of Lords. 
Prince of Peace, Everlasting Savior, Jesus, Jesus. There is no other name that has the power to save. We lift your name on high this morning, Jesus. We thank you for this time that we can just come together and declare who you are and what you've done and what that means for us and to acknowledge that we never could have paid this debt on our own. We needed you, Savior. We still need you today. God, I pray that as Pastor Dan comes, that you would just fill his mouth with words that speak to every single one of us here today that we would hear from you, and that when we leave today, we would know that we met you here. We ask all of these things in your name, Jesus, the precious and holy name that is above every other name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Hopevale. We have a full house in here today. It is tremendous, uh, not only full number-wise, but full energy-wise, bringing your voices, lifting up your praises. This is tremendous. Want to welcome those of you in Bay City as well. Great to have you along. Um, as a matter of fact, I want you guys in here to welcome Bay City with me. So on the count of three, one, two, three, I want you to say, welcome Bay City, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. Welcome, Bay City. We are one church that meets in multiple locations. As a matter of fact, this Friday, we have a great one church opportunity, right, with our night of worship that Billy and Jessica, our worship leader out in Bay City, will be uh, leading that night together. Seven o'clock in our Saginaw campus, Friday night. Um, great time. If you've never been to one, I guarantee you, you will be blessed. Today, we are continuing our life with the capital L series, a series rooted in these wonderful words from Jesus himself that we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, right? That Zoe, capital L life, and have it to the full. Life to the full. You know, we celebrate Christmas because the eternal Son of God left the glories of heaven. He entered into the messiness of our world as a helpless baby boy named Jesus so that we could have life and have it to the full. We celebrate Good Friday because this same Jesus, as a grown man, laid down his life on the cross in our place for our sins so that we could have life and have it to the full. And we celebrate Easter Sunday because three days later, Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. He conquered death, the greatest foe we will ever face, so that we could have life and have it 
to the full. It's the kind of life that is so much more than just biological existence where we are marking our days. No, Jesus came to bring this capital L life that is full of meaning and purpose and fulfillment and hope and peace, both for now and forever. And so we enter into this capital L life. It becomes ours when we know Jesus personally as our Savior, when we trust fully in who he is and what he has done, that he is the Savior who rescues us from eternal judgment, the judgment of our offenses against God, against others. He cleanses us from the guilt of those offenses. We are never more at peace than when we know deep down that our past is forgiven and our future is secure. That is life with a capital L. But even more than just entering into that life, Jesus wants us to experience as much of that life as possible by following him fully as our Lord and doing that with fellow Jesus followers in the context of this community of grace and truth called the church. And so to help explain our pathway into our greater experiences of that life, I introduced you to this model, right? We've been looking at this every week that Jesus came, died, and rose again so that we could enter into this life and then experience that life to its fullest. A life that starts with Jesus, a life that extends with people, and a life that extends even further with purpose. Life with Jesus, life with people, life with purpose. It's a model that begins at the core, and we build upon that core, so we start with life with Jesus. And we talked about these two actions that are center, central to who we are, that because we have this life, our response out of grace and gratitude is to glorify Jesus and everything. And then as we are following Jesus as his disciples, we are growing as Jesus' followers, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. We're striving to learn more, to obey better. That's what it is to be a disciple, to grow as a Jesus follower. And this is our foundation, right? as believers, to experience even more of the life that Jesus has for us. Then last week, we built upon that core to the second circle of life with people. Because we were never meant to go through life alone. That our life with Jesus empowers our life with people. It transforms our relationships everywhere. In the home, in the church, at school, at the workplace, in the world, everywhere, right? You name it. And because it does, we are better able to live out what Jesus called the greatest commandment, where he links the vertical with the horizontal. Love God with everything you've got, but also love people that exact same way. Love God, love people. There is no such thing as loving God well if you are loving people poorly. That's why this second circle is so important as well. So as part of our life with people, last week we talked about what it is to connect with other Christians, right? That if you and I are gonna experience even more of the full life that Jesus has for us, then we need to forge genuine relational connections with other Christians. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he gave us this new command, this foundational passage for us as a church. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you, Jesus said, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know 
that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? That's where it is, where our love for each other proves our love for Jesus and Jesus' love for us fuels our love for each other. And so this small local C church called Hopevale, we're not so much a place to attend, we are a people to belong to, where we are encouraging one another in all sorts of life-giving kind of ways, right? And that can look a lot of different, showing up on Sunday is encouraging. Speaking a word of hope, offering a listening ear, committing to pray for someone else in need, right? The church is at its best when our life with Jesus within us is flowing back and forth between us. So that's what we want to see happen here at Hopeville, and a huge part of making that happen to foster those kind of relational connections beyond the Sunday worship experience is our group life ministry. That in trying to make a big church feel smaller and warmer, we offer many different kinds of groups, right? So that we can forge those bonds and encourage one another. So last week I walked you through the five different kinds of groups, right? Community groups, interest groups, serving groups, study groups, support groups. Knowing that we're all wired differently, different personalities, different backgrounds, different ages, stages in life. Talked more about that last week. You can, you know, track down the message online or you can go to our website, hopefell.org, go into the adult tab, you can learn more. Or again, stop by our welcome center in the lobby on both campuses after the service and someone would love to help you get connected here. And let me just add this that we are such firm believers in the power of groups as a way to forge general relational connections with other Christians that we don't just limit this approach to grown-ups. No, there is a thriving group dynamic with our college ministry, with our youth ministry, with our fourth, fifth, sixth grade ministry, and with our kids' ministry, and we have so many committed people who are serving all those different age groups as leaders, and as a matter of fact, if you're in here and you are one of them, thank you, right? This is where the work gets done. This is where the connections get made. This is what makes us a church. And group leaders, by serving, you are bringing the light of welcome and inclusion that overcomes the darkness of loneliness and isolation. And so when we think about our life with people, right, connecting with other Christians is one of the huge ways we experience even more of that life with Jesus. But there's another part of our life with people that I want to talk about this morning. And it doesn't have to do with us folks in here. No, it has to do with those people out there, right? The people in our lives who do not yet know life with Jesus. The people in our lives who don't yet know life with Jesus. Now on the surface, right? On the surface, you would think that everyone would want to experience the same capital L life that we enjoy in Jesus, right? I mean, who isn't looking for a peace that prevails? Who isn't longing for a purpose that fulfills? Who isn't craving a love that endures? All these things that are ours in Christ. Now, granted, there are many people who live such busy and distracted lives that sometimes those deeper desires aren't always there on the surface, right? But when things slow down, when life gets hard, 
when tragedies strike cruelly, when boredom creeps in, when emptiness takes over, then those questions get bigger, don't they? The searching becomes more desperate. And as our lives show, as human experience tells us, all those things, it's not a matter of if they will happen, it's a matter of when they will happen. And when they do, when life comes crashing down, you would think that people would just want to run after and embrace this life with Jesus for themselves. You would think, after all, consider what just may be the cornerstone passage in the Bible that speaks about this unique kind of life and love. From the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16, many of you know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have, shall enter into, shall experience eternal life. God the Father gave us his son, and Jesus the Son gave us his life. And all that's required of us is belief, faith, trust, genuine repentance, wholehearted reliance upon Jesus first, in Jesus alone. And so who wouldn't want to enter into this kind of life, right? Who wouldn't want to experience this kind of love? But as we know, not everyone does, do they? Not everyone knows Jesus personally as their Savior. Not everyone has entered into this capital L life with him. And so why do you think that is? I guess we could take the rest of today to speculate why we could probably even take all of next Sunday as well. Because I suppose that for as many people as there are in this world, there are just as many reasons as why people have not yet entered into capital L life with Jesus. Now there's one reason that we do know for sure why this happens. And we know this because Jesus and his original apostles actually taught this. That for some people, Because of their stubborn pride, because of willful self-reliance, Jesus himself is the obstacle. Jesus himself is the obstacle. He is, quote, the stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. The stone that causes people to stumble, Jesus is. The rock that makes them fall. Meaning some people reject Jesus simply because they're too proud to accept the charity of his grace, too proud to accept the charity of his grace. They would rather go it alone. They would rather stand on their self-sufficient moral high ground than humble themselves and admit their needs. So for them, Jesus isn't life-giving, he is life-threatening. Let me just say, if that's you or if there's someone like that in your life, you need to know that there's no amount of reasoning or debate that's gonna change them. It's not because the issue isn't the head, it's the heart. And only God can soften a stubborn heart. And so if that's you or if it's someone in your life that you really care about, then spend your time praying for them, right? Because only God can soften their heart. Only God can open your eyes to Jesus. So Jesus himself, combined with stubborn human pride, is one of the barriers that blocks the way for people to enter into life with him. Now, there's another barrier, though, that gets in the way of people, but this one isn't Jesus. This one is us, his church. Sometimes we are the stone that causes people to stumble. Sometimes we are the reason people turn away from him. We are. 
But why? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that. And not just really this week, but really over the course of my entire ministry. And if I had to boil it down to just one thing or, or, or how I would explain why it is we get in the way, I, I'd put it like this. Take a look. I call this the cycle of drift and distrust. The cycle of drift and distrust, that the church drifts from the gospel, this good news message of Jesus Christ. And as we do, the culture distrusts the church. Culture distrusts the church. The church drifts further. And as this cycle continues, the barriers get larger. And so what do I mean when I say the church drifts from the gospel? Well, a drifting church, in my mind, is marked by two main characteristics. Take a look. Here's the first. A drifting church proclaims an insignificant message. Proclaims an insignificant message. In other words, the main thing that we become about is something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the capital L life that he offers. This is why it grieves my heart that far too many, quote-unquote, evangelical churches have made partisan politics their main thing these days. And they blindly support leaders, policies that don't reflect the beauty of Jesus and his gospel. And again, just to be clear, I'll say this, you know, every year, every election cycle. It's not that I believe that politics are unimportant. They're just not most important. We need to be engaged. Politics can be life-helping. At times, politics can even be life-saving. But politics can never be life with a capital L, giving. Politics are not life-giving. After all, do you know that the word evangelical in its origin literally means to proclaim good news? It's the proclamation of good news, specifically as it relates to the Bible. It is the proclamation of Jesus and the arrival of his kingdom of life, light, and love. Good news. And yet there we are getting all riled up on Facebook over one more political controversy, not realizing that our heart is being pulled away from what matters most. Churches and Christians within them drift from Jesus and his gospel when we proclaim an insignificant message. We drift also when we practice an inconsistent faith. Proclaim an insignificant message, practice an inconsistent faith. In other words, hypocrisy. In other words, what we say we believe versus how we actually live when those two don't line up. That's why I think all the clergy abuse scandals that we keep reading about in the church are doubly devastating. Doubly de not, not only are they sickening with the crime itself, but they're also bullying with the cover-up, right? Sickening and bullying. That, that instead of admitting wrong, those in the power go on attack, further victimize their people. people. You know, this just should not be. And, you know, if, if there's anyone here who has ever had that happen to you, I, I just, I am so, so sorry. No one should have to go through any of that ever, especially from someone who is representing, supposedly, the God of holiness and love. I'd encourage you to reach out. I'd encourage you to talk to someone, someone you trust. Let the path of healing begin, right? And while that's a heavy thing to talk about, you know, this inconsistency 
this hypocrisy can trickle down to us quote-unquote normal Christians, right? We might be public about our faith at work, but then we verbally dress down the wait staff at lunch because they messed up our order. We tell our kids how important the Christian faith is for the family, but then we treat going to worship services as one of many options for the weekend if nothing better comes up. Listen, none of us are perfect. Even the best of us are going to mess up. But even then, when we blow it, and we are going to blow it, are we going to fess up? Are we going to say we're sorry? Or are we going to double down and we're going to get defensive and blame someone else, right? See, whether it is an insignificant message, whether it is an inconsistent faith that doesn't humbly and gratefully reflect our own experience of grace, then we as the church and each one of us in it As individual followers, we can become barriers to other people. We can make it harder for them to enter into, capital L, life with Jesus. That's why going back to our life model, when we think about everything coming out of the core of life with Jesus, it's important that we not only connect with other Christians, but it's also important that we invite people to Jesus. Invite people to Jesus in the fullest and most complete sense of the word invite, where we become signposts, not stumbling blocks to life. Signposts, not stumbling blocks. Pointing people to the capital L life that God created them to enjoy both now and forever and the capital L life that Jesus made possible for them to experience. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to look at what it means for us to become an inviting church, for you to be an inviting Christian. What it looks like for us to be signposts, not stumbling blocks, to the people that God places in our lives and inviting them to Jesus. So first, an inviting church is one that shares good news. Shares, you know, we as a church have a message of life worth sharing. You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a message of life worth sharing. You do. And so this is the part of the message where I get to talk about the word evangelism. Evangelism, a word that might be exciting for some of you, but for others of you, it could be intimidating and maybe even off-putting. Off-putting because it might be tied, no doubt, to some negative past experience that makes you feel that way, whether you're on the receiving end, giving end, or both, right? But here's the thing, those negative feelings that you might have about that word evangelism, they're probably associated more with a caricature about evangelism as opposed to what we actually see in Scripture. See, evangelism, just like I said earlier with the word evangelical, is also rooted in this idea of a proclamation of good news. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. It's what is said, what is shared. So evangelism is not a sale to close. It's not an argument to win. It's not even a person to convert. As a matter of fact, as you study the Bible, you never see a single instance of the word convert used as an active verb, meaning it never says Jesus converted this person or the Apostle Paul converted that person. And you know why? Because true spiritual conversion is God's job, not ours. True spiritual conversion is God's job. Now, now, yes, true spiritual conversion in the life of someone we care about is our hope, 
but it's not our job. You know what our job is? It's not true spiritual conversion. Rather, it is genuine spiritual conversation. That's what we can do. Genuine spiritual conversation. Not conversion, but conversation. So evangelism isn't about a person to convert. It's about a story to tell. Specifically, your own story about how Jesus has loved you, forgiven you, cleansed you, rescued you, restored you, renewed you, and how he can do the same for them. And so if you are experiencing capital L life in Jesus, you have a story to tell. You do. In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, there's this incredible story where Jesus has a powerful encounter with a demon-possessed man. He has lived for years in torments, in isolation, cut off from his family and his community. And so Jesus, the Son of God, right, the Almighty, exercises his heavenly authority. He performs a miracle by delivering multiple demons from this man. And so this man's healed now, and as Mark describes it, he is, quote, in his right mind for the first time in a long time. Needless to say, this man is forever grateful to Jesus. This is where we pick up the story, Mark 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus, right? I mean, think about it, right? Indebted for life. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere with you, Jesus. But look at Jesus' response, verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Isn't that beautiful? Go and tell. Go and tell. Who are you supposed to go to? Go to your own people, right? Go to the ones you know and the ones who know you. And tell them what? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. If there is any strain of authenticity to the songs that we have been singing today, we too can say the Lord has done so much for us. And so that's what happened, verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the region uh, uh, in the Middle East where he was from, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Go and tell. Go and tell, listen, if you know Jesus, if his life is real in you, then you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need the title pastor. No, all you need is an honest voice and authentic words to tell your own Jesus story. Your own Jesus story might not be as jaw-dropping as this one, but that's okay. It's okay, you know why? Because God puts the right people at the right time in your path to hear your story. I truly believe that God puts the right people at the right time on your path to hear your story. So go home to your own people, Jesus said. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, going back to what I said earlier about our culture today, about this drift and distrust cycle, I realize that those kind of conversations that we might have with someone else, they're not always going to happen automatically or immediately. I've seen some research that says often relational trust precedes spiritual openness, right? In other words, I need to trust you before I listen to you, right? I get that. I think I'm probably the same way. 
And so people are not our projects, they're just our friends. Our friends that we talk with, we listen to, but then we look for and we pray for opportunities. Not everyone's going to be ready to hear what you have to say right away, and that's okay, but some will be. Let's not forget that. Some will be, because some people really do want to have honest conversations about God, about church, about faith, about Jesus, about Hopevale, the place you attend. Because I believe God puts the right people at the right time on your path to hear your story. And when those times come, tell them. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and the kind of capital L life that they too can enjoy with Jesus. That's an inviting church. It's a church that shares good news. There's, there's a second characteristic, though, that we don't just share good news, we spread good deeds. An inviting church spreads good deeds. You know, I think of last week's message, Hebrews 10, 24, on connecting with other Christians. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Good deeds, these acts of goodness done for others out of love with no strings attached, expecting nothing in return. Acts of goodness done for others out of love with no strings attached, expecting nothing in return. In other words, and just to kind of steal a term from the news, this isn't quid pro quo. It's not I'll do this for you if you do this for me. No. A good deed that Jesus has so much better in mind. Goodness expressed with no strings attached. It's the essence of grace, isn't it? And so I love these words of Jesus, how he describes our mission here on this earth as his disciples. So what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, you, you plural, y'all, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That is the word picture that we are as his followers, the light of the world. Now here's the punchline, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice the connection, seeing your good deeds, glorifying your Father in heaven. That good deeds, when they're done well with the right motive, draw attention to God and not ourselves. They draw attention to God and not ourselves. I think that's one of the reasons why the summer's Hopevale Scent Project was so powerful. So many of you engaged in these multiple acts of goodness done out of sacrificial love for others with no strings attached, expecting nothing in return. That's when the light of Jesus shines brightly. Now, I know that's the example of something bigger or more well-known, but I know so many of you, right? You are also personally living out your love for Jesus in this same way, in much more secret and subtle and simple ways. You're being a light. You are blessing others through the good deeds that you spread. See, this too is what it means to be an inviting church, a church sent into a world that desperately needs the capital L, life, and the capital L, light, that only comes from Jesus. An inviting church shares good news. An inviting church spreads good deeds. And finally, an inviting church lives good lives. We live good lives. Does our walk match our talk? Do we practice 
what we preach. See, when I talk about living good lives, I'm not using the cultural definition of a good life, how much we have. No, it's about how well we love. A good life is not about how much you have, it's about how well you love. We've talked about this before as a church, as part of our DNA here at Hopevale, the values that make us, us as a church, including this value of authentic love. It's just like we've seen with the Apostle, Apostle John, for those of you who were part of that series earlier this year, challenging words, chapter three in 1 John, verse 18, dear children, let us love, not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, right? Let's live it out. So a good life is a compassionate life, but a good life is also a consistent life, right? We're living well when we are caring and consistent. I mean, think about it, that we live in such a wearied and skeptical world, a world filled with hollow words and empty promises. I cannot tell you how powerful, how attractive, a good life is, a life that is compassionate, a life that is consistent. That's why John's friend, the Apostle Peter, said something similar in 1 Peter 2, verse 12. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. Among the pagans. It was a term back then for people who didn't believe in God or were really apathetic about religion. Live such good lives separate from, cloistered away from the pagans? No. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, right, they can't figure out your faith, they don't understand why you're a Christian, they don't know this Jesus thing, even though they might do that, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Isn't that incredible? The power of living a good life. People may not agree with your faith in Jesus right away, but when your life exudes goodness, His goodness over time, through your compassion, through your consistency, they cannot, they will not deny your faith in Jesus and the difference it's made in you. That's why, by the way, living out of that core of our life with Jesus is so important because that's how we grow in our compassion. That's how we grow in our consistency, right? When, When our focus is not glorifying self, but glorifying Jesus in everything, and we are growing as Jesus followers. That's how we become more caring, more compassionate towards others. That's how we grow in our character. It's how we grow in our consistency, living good lives. So life with people. Life with people means us connecting with other Christians in here, but it also means inviting people to Jesus out there. And we do it in what we say, in what we do, and how we live. And so as I close, I want to make this personal, okay? And I'm going to leave this with you. I want you to think about that one person in your life who has not yet entered into capital L, Life with Jesus. Someone in your life who has not yet entered into capital L, Life with Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised that as I was going through this message, if God brought someone specific to mind to you, right? A name, a face, a story, a struggle family, friend, classmate, coworker, maybe of many that come to mind, I just want you to think about the one. Just think about one person. And as that person comes to mind, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about these four things. Pray for them, care for them, 
listen to them, share with them. This is an inviting life. Pray for them. Why? Because only God can change a heart. Care for them. Be a friend, right? Love on them with no strings attached. Listen to them. Listen to their questions, their doubts, their fears. People want to talk. They really do. We let, if we just listen, don't interrupt them, and don't try to fix them right on the spot, right? But then also share with them, right? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Pray, care, listen, share. If you are willing to name that person in your life, you're willing to stay committed to these four steps I truly believe that God will break down the barriers in their lives. He will. He will break down the barriers and he will use you as a signpost. A signpost that points them to life in Jesus. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if weeks, months, years down the road at a baptism service that we heard the story of their true spiritual conversion to Jesus? their true spiritual conversion, and that part of what sparked that conversion was your genuine spiritual conversation, that God used you as a signpost. Wouldn't that be great? It's happened here before, and I know it can happen again. And God can use someone just like you because you have a story to tell. So let's be an inviting church. An inviting church that shares good news, that spreads good deeds, and lives good lives. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, as we think about a message like this, about inviting people to share in the life that we enjoy in Jesus, we're humbly reminded about the people used in our lives to do the same thing could be family, could be friend, could be a, a youth pastor growing up, could be an experience at a camp, could be a coworker, could be just in a service like this. And so God, as we continue to let that life with you, Jesus, bubble up within us, let it lead us to leading an inviting life, opportunities to share your good news, to love on people, to pray for them, to care for them, to listen to them, to share with them, but also that there is a compassion and consistent side to us where we're spreading good deeds, we're living good lives. Father, I pray for all of us who've gone through this and the person that we're thinking about. And God, thank you that you are already at work in their lives. And thank you, God, that you are in the business of changing lives because we are exhibit number one. Thank you so much for the work that you have done in us and for the work that you will do through us, proclaiming life to the world. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why you ever chose me? It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite. 
with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Well, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Well, Moses had stage fright. And David brought a rock to a sword fight. Well, you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen, and you saved the world. Well, the moment of the story is everybody's got a purpose. When I hear that devil stop talking to me saying, who do you think you are? Well, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who's saving my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. killed it. That was awesome. Oh my goodness. So you wanted like a self-esteem motivational talk and you came to church today and we told you you were a nobody, right? That's who we are, a bunch of nobodies. I want to tell everybody about this somebody named Jesus, right? That's what we're living for. So let's be those kind of people. Let's be that kind of inviting church. That lifts up the beauty of Jesus. Next week, we're moving on to what it means to live a life with purpose. But as you go, may you shine and lift up the name of Jesus in your life. God bless you.